Welcome, this is Stepping Into Creativity, a podcast in which we explore the magic that happens when creativity, art and education meet. We are a group of professionals and pioneers from Ireland, Greece, Serbia, Austria and the Netherlands working together. By sharing stories, we hope to learn about successful practices throughout Europe and inspire you with the lessons learned. I am Lena Rosink and I am Manja Eland. We are your hosts. So we have another episode today of our podcast, Stepping into Creativity. And today we're going to listen to an interview uh, that Manja had. Manja, can you introduce the guest to our listeners? Today we'll be hearing from Tanya Benotti. She's the director of Creative Ireland. Now that's a very ambitious five-year program which connects people, creativity and well-being, they say. The program is committed to the vision that every person in Ireland should have the opportunity to realize their full creative potential. What really struck me in this conversation is that Tanya has a very holistic view. So she has a very broad view of the whole project, the aims and the different participants involved. It's ambitions in the sense that it brings together all delegations of government. So not only culture, but also education and other departments working together. That's interesting because it always seems to be a big threshold for uh, projects uh, that are cross-discipline. Yes, and somehow it really does sound like they're making it work. One step at a time, of course. Can't wait to hear about that. Anything else you would like to? Uh, I was really struck by... She has a way of bringing it alive. A very nuanced view with that is both ambitious and realistic. So it's really inspiring to listen to and maybe take some things away to change in our own country. Well, thank you for this introduction. And um, let's dive in. Good morning, Tanya, and thank you for being with us today. Can I ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners around Europe? Certainly. My name is Tanya Bonatti. I'm the director of the Creative Ireland programme, which is an all-of-government programme based in the Republic of Ireland. With my strange name, I'm half Irish, half Italian, and I've been doing this job for about three and a half years. That's so lovely to hear. So did you grow up in Ireland or in Italy? I grew up in Ireland. Uh, I was born in Italy, but my mother came back with me when I was young. So I sound totally Irish, but have this strange name. <laughs> but my mother was a, a very well-known politician in the country. She ran to be president of Ireland. So although there are only two Bonattis in Ireland, it's weirdly a recognizable last name. Just a, a fact that we can omit, I'm sure, from the podcast. But that's uh, that's my background. Oh, well, no, it's lovely to hear. So before we go into the political side of creativity in our society, um, as a child, do you have a memory of meeting the arts that you uh, are fond of? Yes, absolutely. So although my mother was a politician, she had a great love of the arts. And in fact, many of her partners were artists. So I grew up, I guess I was lucky enough to grow up surrounded by that. Um, I was taken to the theatre very much as a child. And so to me, all of those things were natural, which is why I guess all of those statistics and research which shows that if young people are not exposed to those opportunities um, in earlier stages of life, they are statistically a lot less likely to avail of the opportunities as they are adults. So I suppose I was always lucky that that was something I grew up with in my house. 
That is lovely. And I do agree, very important. So how does that translate in the work you do today with Creative Ireland? Well, I suppose um, I'm three years into this job and it is a very new programme. It was something quite ambitious at the time for a European government to state very publicly to its citizens that it believed that culture and creativity was important across government policy. So the Creative Ireland programme spans a bewilderingly wide range of areas. But I suppose at its heart, there were two things. The belief by the state that participating in creative activities contributes to our well-being, our individual well-being, and by extension, societal well-being. And secondly, that every government department should think about where culture and creativity impacts on its work. So traditionally, and I'm sure that would be true right across Europe, culture is often seen as being in the Ministry of Culture. So this was quite an ambitious way for people to go, what what would the Department of Climate Action have to do with culture? What would the Department of Business, the Department of Education? And I suppose thinking about our conversation today, at its heart it is, how does the Department of Education the Department of Children, we have a separate ministry for children, and we have a ministry for higher education, universities, etc. How do all of those government ministries think about culture and creativity as part of their work? Now, that's easy to say, but I think everybody will know how challenging it is, certainly in my experience, because I am not a a public servant by background. My background is in the arts, but trying to get different government departments, uh, government ministries and agencies to work together is a huge challenge. Yes, I think everyone listening would be very curious to know on a very practical level, how did you go about making this connection? Well, I suppose I was, uh, I always say I'm standing on the shoulders of giants and There were people involved in your project like Katie Sweeney and others. So when we arrived on the scene, there had been some initial groundwork laid around what was then called the arts and education. So we were able to stand on the shoulders of that work. But I suppose if I'm honest, the thing that gave it the kick up the backside was the political impetus. I'm not sure we would be where we are now if we didn't have at the highest level of government, uh, both the prime minister and uh, what, what we describe as the most senior public servant in the country, which is the secretary to the cabinet. So those two people absolutely believed in this and made it happen. And that can have a way in a small country like Ireland of galvanizing the public service. Yes, I would imagine so. And I've been reading a little bit, Creative Ireland, it spends all the 31 Uh, different areas of the country. Am I correct? Yes, we have five themes. The one we're here to talk about today is all around creativity for children and young people. We have another pillar which would be done through municipalities. So really supporting and generously financially supporting uh, municipal government to offer more creative opportunities for people on the ground. That's the second pillar. We have a third pillar which I think a bit like our young people will potentially be really important, which is with our health service, with our Ministry of Health, Um, because they will obviously have new policies around mental health and well-being, and we want them to think about culture and art and creativity as part of those health policies. And then, strangely, we have a climate change strand. So um, 
there is much call for environmental policy and cultural policy to be linked. And I'm lucky to live in a country where those two ministers two years ago said we would like to make a link between culture policy and environmental policy. So we have a fund to support artists and creative organisations to engage the public on the climate crisis. So there's a specific climate change theme. And then obviously there's an economic theme, which is around the creative industries something that the Dutch do very well. But I think we feel in Ireland that perhaps we could have a higher proportion of our population working in the creative industries. So how does the state support those industries better? So it's a huge, huge field, but they are all linked in the sense that what we're doing for children and young people in school and out of school will have an impact on their economic opportunities when they leave education. Yes, definitely. And so the part you're doing in schools, one of the things involved in that would be the TEP program, which the International Teacher Artist Partnership program is a, we could call it a spin-off maybe, or it's linked to it uh, too. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the Teacher Artist Partnership is one of um, a series of actions that we support under Creative Ireland. And the idea, I guess, is very simple. It's about matching teachers with artists, usually in the school holidays first, so that that artist and teacher have a chance to build a relationship um, and bringing the strengths of the artist and the teacher together and allowing that teacher to explore their own creative practice and their own creativity. And then having laid the groundwork for that through a series of training days, the artist then goes into the school and works with that teacher and with that those teacher's pupils on a creative project. So that's kind of it at the heart of it. Um, very much on a what we would say in Ireland, a lean-in basis. So it would be for the teachers to identify, yes, I would like to do this training over the summer, I would like to explore this, and then to integrate it back into their teaching practice. And I think what's also important in this, because it's something I've been recognizing we don't have in our other countries, it's that um, your teachers are also used to having a summer program to for professional development. Yes, that's correct. So there's an extensive summer program for professional development. And I suppose that's just always been there well before Creative Ireland arrived. Um, there is also, I suppose, for the teachers listening, there is an added benefit. So if you do a certain number of training days in the summer, you then get a certain number of days off during your teaching calendar. So that's not to minimize the commitment of the teachers, but there is also that added benefit where a teacher could say, gosh, if I do that training this summer, I would have perhaps two or three days that I can take extra during the school year and everybody needs that flexibility. So there's also a, an added benefit for teachers. That's a lovely win-win um, and a very good suggestion for our other participating countries to look into. Do you get a chance from your role to visit some examples of participating teachers and artists? Yes, I mean, I haven't visited the TAP in schools, um, but I obviously have visited quite a lot of schools since I started this to look at a variety of different creative approaches. So we have been given permission, I suppose, to try lots of different things, which is a real privilege. So under Creative Youth, we're demonstrating different kinds of projects. So TAP is one kind of project. There's something called Creative Clusters, where between two and five schools work together on a creative project. 
sometimes that can help teachers who perhaps feel a little isolated in their own school and feel like they're the only one who believes in this and then you can get together with other local schools so that's a clustering approach then we have um shall we say the bespoke rolls royce option which is you're right you apply to be a creative school and you get a whole series of supports around it so i've 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 experienced different kinds of models and i think the things that jump out at me are the specificity of each school. So when we go into schools and we say, well, what does creativity mean for this school community? Let's consult all the young people, the teachers, the parents, and that depending on where you are in the country and the kind of school you are, that takes on very different flavors, which is what you would want. So it is definitely not a one size fits all. Sometimes it's about the the form. So perhaps one school chooses podcasting and another chooses um, music. And sometimes it's about theme, where a school will say, well, we really want to focus on sustainability, but through the lens of creativity, how do we do that? And I think what I, I love about everything we do in Creative Youth is the sheer diversity of approaches. If you empower teachers and young people and say, we will follow you. you, you tell us what you think is really creative and what you really enjoy doing, as opposed to this is what the Ministry of Culture has defined as creativity, because I think that can have a deadening effect. Yes, I always like to say uh, creativity is a place where every question can have multiple answers. Exactly. I would say it can be sometimes challenging in that obviously a huge part of doing things in a more creative way is sometimes not knowing the outcome, is trusting the process. And I don't just mean the obvious things like design and iteration and design thinking and you know sprinting for your concept, but you know across all subjects of the curriculum, if you're encouraging teachers to be creative, that can sometimes be outside their comfort zone in that their training would be around learning outcomes, material in the syllabus covered, et cetera, et cetera. So to say to them, do you know what? We don't know where this is going to go. What an adventure. We'll find out as we go can sometimes alarm some members of the teaching community. I do recognize that from our own practice, that the stepping back to being okay with the awkwardness of not being sure where you will end up can be quite a big leap of faith. It's so wonderful that all around we are really trying to take that leap. Yes. And I mean, I think the way we have looked at it in Creative Ireland is we probably, it's fair to say we started with the existing teaching community. So offering a variety of uh, continuing professional development supports for teachers currently working. And I suppose we were influenced by research that showed that if you put all your focus on initial teacher education, so teacher training colleges, and those teachers come out into a system that does not value that approach pretty quickly, those great ideas kind of get crushed. But I think now that we're um, four years into the program and we're mature enough to say, well, look, we'll have a program for continuing education for teachers, but what would a program for initial teacher education look like? Because obviously they will be the teachers for the next 20, 30 years. And we would like to feel that we could influence some of the curriculum. And that is currently in Ireland that is being looked at, the curriculum for teacher education. So we think it's a great opportunity. And I suppose, standing back, what I feel is I don't come from an education background, but now that I'm in it a few years, it's going to be a series of things. 
There's TAP, so teachers and artists working in individual classrooms. There's how do we train the teachers of the future? How do we support the current teachers? And then obviously, how do we think, I don't know if you have this in the Netherlands, but how do you think about school inspection when schools are reviewed? How do we think about the curriculum development? So it's almost, you would say in English, whack-a-mole. It's like, oh my God, you've got to tap 10 things mm. at the one time. You have to walk and chew gum. Yes, definitely. I think, well, the challenge of inspection is you want to take something where you want to allow uncertainty and to have some form of measurability or at least of communicating the power of what you're doing without having the set outcome. And we've worked uh, closely. Uh, there are only about 170 school inspectors in Ireland. So it's quite a small but influential community. And I think we recognized very early on if we could partner with the inspectorate that's what it's called in Ireland, so that every time an inspector goes into a school, he or she will say to the school principal, where does creativity live in this school? Show me some examples of where you're being creative without it being seen, and that's the crucial thing, as another box to tick. So the poor old school principal is thinking, my God, I have to show this, this, mm -hmm. and I have to show creativity. So I suppose the inspectorate in Ireland were very clear in the beginning, this is not another thing. This is something that you can demonstrate across any subject or anything else you're doing in the school. But I do think if we if we continue this work with the inspectors, that would be very influential. Those 170 people, very influential because that English saying, what gets measured gets valued. Yes. And they are measuring the performance of a school. And if they value it, if in their report they say, you know, this school showed great creativity in maths in the following lesson, that would be influential across the education sector. I really love that. So you did manage to get all of the 170 inspectors together? Yes, yeah, so the inspectorate, so they have an annual conference. So they, they devoted an annual conference to creativity. Then they decided they would come up with their own definition as it applied in schools. Then they would support the 170 inspectors as they go out to schools. Now, this is a multi-year program. And because of COVID, it has paused a little. But I would say we're about a year into it. But they have committed to a creativity working group within the school's inspectorate. So any of those things we welcome, we support, we champion. That's lovely to hear and an inspiration as well. So what if I would say, where does creativity live in your life? <laughs> as in my life personally Jesus if only I had more time <laughs> I suppose because my, my entire day job is talking about the value of creativity uh, and you're dead right to ask because sometimes I feel for myself and my colleague and particularly since we've all been working at our kitchen tables the last two years the chance for personal expression of creativity is very limited do you know what mm -hmm. I mean like because I worked in the theatre I get a huge sort of satisfaction and and boost from going to see live performance, going to see my friends doing that, getting to understand that. And we have a, a wonderful theatrical tradition here in Ireland. I, I never performed, but I did produce in the past. But um, personally, I feel quite wrung out without those opportunities in the last 18 months. Yes, it's like a plant that needs water every now and then. 
absolutely. But that said, of course, I'm sure it's true across Europe. We have seen the most inspiring examples of people, not from the professional arts community, but examples of things that people did during lockdown that were unbelievably creative and moving and beautiful that perhaps in our rush before we didn't see. And we have certainly come across that in Creative Ireland through all our work with local authorities. So many of our municipalities, when they mobilise, can be really good on the ground. And they did quite a lot with older people and people cocooning. So I can certainly pass you on the beautiful projects like the Kildare Lockdown Notebooks. And we supported some wonderful dancing outdoors with older people. And, you know, we've also seen people who, I guess, having this much time at home, turned their hands to the most extraordinary creative expression. I saw that your organization is on uh, social media as well. So people, we will put that in the show notes, can follow you on Facebook, on Instagram, for example. That would be wonderful because we definitely try to champion, you know, our our role on social media, which I hope people will find useful, is to show examples on the ground of what can be done. Yes, and I did see some lovely examples of uh, people picking up creative uh, projects at home during lockdown there as well in the highlights. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we try to kind of champion that and go, isn't that remarkable? I suppose in fairness, because of that innate creativity that message that we're here to say that awful thing where people go oh I'm not creative you know go and talk to the creative person you're like no everybody has that innate talent and perhaps through life and and our education system over time people felt they didn't have access to that yes we do tend to get lost maybe in fear as well um and I love how projects like tap really uh, rekindled that we just came back from Belgrade where we had our second pilot and it was lovely because we had between 40 and 50 grown-up people really finding their own playfulness again and creativity and with sparkly eyes and everything you would hope every child can experience in a classroom as well. And that's wonderful. It's a bit like when the inspectorate did their conference and we almost sent them back to school. So we brought in a creative writer. We brought in a young woman who teaches um, science really creatively. And I think that the inspectors just had a lot of fun. And as you say, just that ability to kindle the joy and the playfulness in adults so that they can in turn allow that to happen in the teaching space is really vital. I think it also it opens up your mind or it relaxes your brain and, and puts an openness of mind that allows you to learn so much better. Oh, absolutely. And we have a lovely film I must send you where young people talk about what being creative means to them during COVID. And we just captured some of those statements like, I really love to go to school when I can present my music or I feel so much calmer and, you know, when I'm having a bad day, I really like to do art. And I just felt that capturing the voice of young people saying why being creative is important to them is is really vital because I think sometimes it can blow teachers' minds when you say to young people, well, what does being creative mean to you? And to the teacher, it might mean a very traditional interpretation of the arts, but to the young person, you know, cooking and all kinds of things. Um So I I love that we try and make sure that we have listened to young people when they say what they want to be creative in, that the school responds to that. And I think sometimes schools have been surprised. They were like, God, we never thought they'd come up with that. And that's really powerful. Yes. 
Uh, well, totally agree, <laughs> I guess, but we're coming from the same perspective. Yeah, and I think the problem is we're probably talking to the converted on this podcast, but the main challenge for us is how do we reach people? When I say unconverted, all I really mean is there are people across the education and art sector who have other responsibilities mm -hmm. who perhaps don't see this as important as we do. And then also there are a lot of people who do see the importance, but who don't have the infrastructure and the organization and the political support you have in Ireland as well. So maybe from your experience, that would be something interesting to explore. What are the very practical tips? How can you influence the system? Well, I mean, I think, like I say, if it hadn't been for that political buy-in four years ago, there had been good things done in the space of arts and education, don't get me wrong. But when I look, we went from a standing zero to now, oh gosh, nearly 20% of all schools in Ireland have had some contact with the Creative Ireland programme. I just don't think it would have happened naturally if we didn't have that. So that is a difficult thing to say because I'm sure there are a lot of public officials listening to this. Um, and it is hard if you don't have buy-in at the senior level. I think there's also a risk in that buy-in, though, that if the political system were to change and it was to be less valued, how would you continue? So I suppose... One of the things we try and do is always demonstrate that, like lots of things in this life, it is no longer possible to take that for granted. So even though it might seem to some people quite frivolous, we do quite a lot of photo essays. We do quite a lot of videos. Any opportunity to spread the word, we take it. Because what we've got to do is to build up that broader endorsement from parents' associations, from the business community, from thought leaders. You know, that is that is what we, we need to do to, to build that support and that sense in which um, this is something that the wider system gets behind. So then a key element would be really always showing what you do. Absolutely. And showing it in a way that connects with people. Um, so... But I think it must be, as I say, I think it must be very hard. I know, for example, when I worked in the arts community and we were fighting for arts money, often feeling very disheartened that the system didn't value that. So I assume it's the same in the countries you're describing where. So you've got to you've got to find advocates within government ministries and within municipalities and within the education partners and where you find them really work with them. Also, I've been hearing a lot about bottom-up, small initiatives, just starting with something you can contribute yourself and showing it really, uh, platforms like YouTube really help uh, to put little tiny sparks out there. Um, and I heard from this one lady who uh, told me that by start, just starting to do that, she's doing body percussion, stuff like that. Um, she's reaching more people and she's having the schools come with their own questions. And it's going around all the government organizations. And she's dead right because, you know, success has many fathers. So if you do something that people kind of, it comes across their radar and they're like, oh, that's happening already. I should just somehow try and support it. Um, I think what we're trying to do is a little bit of both. We're trying to do bottom up, tap, 
creative schools, creative clusters. We've got initiatives with designers in schools. We've got all kinds of things. That's, shall we say, on the ground. And then top down, okay, how are we working with the Minister for Education and the Minister for Culture? How do officials in the government ministries feel about it? So you're almost trying to do bottom and top and hope that it meets somewhere in the middle. Yes, and I think that part's also very important in making it sustainable. Otherwise, you are always dependent on this one person. Absolutely. And although it may seem foreign to some of your listeners, you know, sometimes we started out as a well-being program and that's still where our roots are. But I find it quite interesting that things like the World Economic Forum in Davos talking about creativity as a critical competency for the jobs of the future, that it went from number 15 in importance to number three two years ago. That's been echoed by Forbes, by various EU studies. So all of a sudden, within the wider economic world, the capacity to be creative and inventive and imaginative has become more valued. And even though that you might be quite cynical about that, it can often be very helpful to have the National Employers Organization and, and really key businesses that employ large numbers of people. So for us, that might be, you know, the the foreign tech companies hire a lot of people in Ireland. That would be uh, Google, LinkedIn, Facebook and Airbnb have their European and Middle East headquarters here in Dublin. And they would be very passionate advocates for creativity. So, and, you know, you might think, oh, why do we need those, those companies? But in fact, that can carry weight in parts that perhaps the argument culture for culture's sake, you know, cultural rights of children, that those things just do not, um, yeah, they, they do not, that they, the parts, what is it that add parts that other beers can't reach? Nice quote. No, it's, uh, yeah, it has more impact, I guess. It influences more people and more layers of life, um, if we can look at it from that perspective. And I guess why not run with the wind as it's blowing and, and take advantage of it? Exactly, exactly. Uh, I think I came across somewhere that also someone said it's not only about uh, the creativity for the future, but also uh, this moment that's happening now. Probably this taps into the well-being of the children. Absolutely. So as I say, we started as a well-being project And I think the statement that the well-being of the people of Ireland is the country's greatest asset. So if we believe passionately, which we do, that giving people access to creative opportunities increases their well-being, well, that's that's for the here and now. And also, you're only a child once. I know that's stating the obvious, but we can't be waiting you know, for a policy to catch up. We've got to start doing, 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 and at the same time trying to think about policy and long-term. So yeah, we've, we've got to try and do both. I love that. Also love that it's such an ambitious program. I love that it's such an ambitious program. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I think I was saying to you at the start, when I got my job initially, uh, the prime minister of the country sort of met me, which was a great honor. And he said to me, so this is a great program and I'm very committed to it. And I want you to think about enabling the creative potential of every child in Ireland. And I remember sitting in his office and the hairs on the back of my neck went up and I thought, oh, my God, I've just got the dream job. And I said, oh, yes, you know, I won't let you down. Absolutely. It's so inspiring. Of course, now with the benefit of three years hindsight, I should have probably said, well, if you want that prime minister, we need 
five times the budget and five times the people. But of course, you don't think about that on day one in the job. But nonetheless, I think it is fair to say that it was a very, for its time four years ago, for a European government to say, well-being is really important and well-being through the lens of culture and creativity is where we're planting our flag. And, you know, we've seen it in other areas. So, for example, because the UK has left the European Union, the Irish government, which, you know, we're a small country, has decided to double its uh, diplomatic footprint in the world. So we're opening embassies all over the place. And, you know, for our Ministry of Foreign Affairs to say, well, how do we think about arts and culture as a calling card for Ireland as one of our strengths. So as part of our diplomatic policy, we're going to have a bigger focus on that. So it it is inspiring for a government to sort of be as confident in its statement. Now, obviously, delivery is very challenging. uh, But as I suppose many people across Europe may have experienced, strangely, during the pandemic, resources are not the problem, really, Governments are spending hugely. Um, You know, previously we would have fought to get a small increase. Now we're in the strange situation that resources are are really not, not, not the challenge that they were. That is lovely to hear. So maybe to go back to the ambition, um, you have five pillars within this project. Um, The creative potential of every child. How many children do you think you reached until now? Well, that is a good question. And we... I can't answer that other than by saying we reckon we've reached 20% of all schools in the first four years. But I think one of the things that has shifted is not so much the numbers game, because we have things like once a year, we have a national day that celebrates the creativity of young people. We're one of the few countries in the world to have that. Everything is free. It's all over the country. And it's all about young people expressing their creativity. And it has an Irish language name called Crinunanog. So there are there are ways in which we're reaching everybody, but I think we have become a little bit more sophisticated or perhaps wiser, I don't know, but we I think there's the challenge of meeting every child, which is what the government has set us as a target. But then all the research shows that children in rural areas, teenage boys, and young people coming from families with low levels of income and education are least likely to participate. So when that's the case, there's no point in just offering more access. It does not necessarily get taken up for all kinds of sometimes practical reasons. They don't have a car, they can't access, or they don't think it's for them. So alongside our, okay, the only way we'll reach every child is through school, we've had to sit back and go, what could we target out of school? There are a load of different ways of reaching young people when they're not in school, and how do we target those opportunities in geographic areas of greatest disadvantage? And that's a more recent phenomenon, And it is also something that's going to take more time. That if we're really honest about that, this is not something that we can just come in and say we've got a one year or a two year program. It's got to take multiple, multiple years of commitment. And that's something that the state finds hard to do to make those multi-annual commitments. But that notwithstanding, we have various commitments. So we have one is a commitment around creative writing. So there is an author in Ireland called Roddy Doyle, who would be quite well known. 
and he set up a great organization called Fighting Words, which is all about uh, opportunities for young people to write. And that could be comics, poems, straightforward documentary, whatever you like. And Roddy has developed this wonderful model. So Creative Ireland is supporting Fighting Words to extend that program around the country. And I don't know if in other European countries, youth theatre is particularly popular, but in Ireland, youth theatre is seen not so much for the theatre as for the ability for young people to have personal development, to develop their confidence and their just general personal development. I'm a big fan of youth theatre because I, I, I worked in theatre for a long time. So we have uh, sought to fund the national organisation Youth Theatre Ireland and get them to roll out youth theatres in parts of the country that do not have any. So, you know, those are kind of long-term plays, creative writing, theatre, and then obviously opportunities for singing, which is less resource intensive. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, choirs and different ways of getting young people singing. So sometimes we're, we're trying in school and sometimes we're trying in the community. That's very nice. And uh, we'll be sure to link in the show notes to the Fighting Words project and the theatre and schools as well. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners will be interested uh, to find out more about that. Great, yeah. Um, I just lost my question. That's okay. I know what it's like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's very inspirational. I did used to play a lot of theatre myself uh, growing up. And it's such a lovely way to... Um, experiment with who you could be exactly with identity and voice and um they're generally really safe spaces for young people um, and yeah. they, they've just been a, a, a super addition but they're they're a little bit the underfunded cinderella of the theater side and i suppose our challenge is to get public funders to see this not as theatre, but actually as a safe space for young people in terms of their development. And particularly with the epidemic of mental health and other challenges that we've seen young people face into, I think youth theatre, it's certainly not the only answer, but it, it is absolutely a, a valid and important part of sports. So that's the challenge is to communicate the value of youth theatre. But none of these things can be done voluntarily, or rather, They have been done voluntarily, but as a result, they cannot go national because, you no. know, funding a youth theatre, this means facilitators, that's people's time. Sometimes it's renting spaces to have it, some travel for the young people to kind of meet other youth theatres. There will inevitably, however modest, there is a cost to all of this. And it's about trying to encourage the state to value it more and then to fund it. Yes. Definitely. And regarding the trying to reach all the, the areas that are not reached yet at the moment, did you find a way to actually engage the communities that you're not reaching themselves? I would say only at the beginning, only at the very beginning of that. And I think that we're, we're just going to have to think about a different approach. And I do struggle with that because the way we are funded, we can do kind of two, maybe maximum three-year funding arrangements. Mm -hmm. But we, we can't really go further than that under the awful term public procurement. So if we all know that these things are multi-generational and we've got to give a much longer, deeper commitment, like if we're really honest, this is what it's going to take. 
we have not in Creative Ireland cracked that yet. So how would your dream world look like? So what say all the aims, all these five pillars, everything has been reached. How does Ireland look? Oh, my goodness. Well, gosh, if we had, even if we took creative youth, like if if somehow I was to project into the future, what does success look like? When I think about that, I think that instead of the Creative Ireland office being the engine, that each of the key government ministries, the Ministry for Children, Education and Universities, would absolutely have mainstreamed this across all their work. So what, whether it's the curriculum, teacher training, a CPD for teachers, they would just be living that vision of creativity from early years right through to third level. So that would be success for me, that we're no longer needed, that it's, it's already part of their DNA. Uh, when I think about Creative Ireland as a whole, I, if, if the well-being of Irish people is what we're aiming for, that all of those things around opportunities to be creative, to, to have that self-expression, to have it at the most local level wherever you live in the country, that that again is seen by municipalities and local government as not just a little bit of the service of what they provide, but, but a core part of what they provide. Um, and for the most disadvantaged, I suppose I do feel a bit overwhelmed by that because that's got to be an all of society response to those challenges and, the, uh, and that focus so that we would be an important part of that national response that seeing the arts and culture and creativity as absolutely valid when it comes to supporting areas of high deprivation, of high drug use amongst young people, that we're not just seen as the fluffy add-on. Um, so those would be some of my, and just that, that that it's it's normalized, that it's seen as something like we are lucky to live in a country where that is valued, but that it would be valued even more. I love it. Here's to hoping. Thank you so much for being with us today, Tanya. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's always great. I'm, as I say, I'm evangelical about the program. I think it's something special. So I love to sort of share the highs and lows with interested uh, partners across Europe. And it was a pleasure for us to hear. We will link to the different projects you mentioned uh, in our show notes so people can learn more. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening to Tapping Into Creativity. In our show notes, you can find more information about our guests and the subjects that were discussed in this episode. If you like what you heard, you can help us reach many more listeners by hitting the subscribe button, giving us a five-star review and sharing the podcast with your friends and colleagues. Tapping into creativity is part of ITEPPD, which is short for International Teacher Artist Partnership Professional Development. We are currently building a model and training about partnerships between teachers and artists in education. ITEPPD facilitates a place and time where we can jointly develop our understanding, expertise and creativity on working with young people. We explore and play with the different perspectives teachers and artists have on behaviour, development and language. This podcast was also made possible by funding from Erasmus Strategic Partnership Programme. Partners in ITAPD are the Education Centre in Tralee, 
Centar za dramu u edukaciji i umetnosti, CDEUM. Panelinio Diktio je to Seatrost in Ekpedovs. Stichs in Kopa, kunstedukatie. We were your hosts, Linda and Manja, from Stichs in Kopa in the Netherlands. Audio editing was done by Yalda Shahidi.